Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Jose Negron, on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel, hosting the lead technology show, T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or noon East Coast Time. You can also listen to our show on Monday and Tuesday, both morning and evening. Uh, Please uh, go to your voice america.com the variety channel look up t3 for the current programming time before we get started as a reminder uh, to our audience the purpose of t3 program is to integrate our scientists and engineers innovators our not our tech audience with the non-techie uh, folks uh, this will be a discussion uh, hopefully it will improve your life and what we'll understand a little bit further what kind of research is being done out there and how technology and innovation will impact your lifestyle. To keep our audience involved in the T3 show, please call 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. I'm excited today because we have two great guests today. Our topic today is nuclear energy molten chloride salt fast reactors. And our first guest is Mr. Ed Field, Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of Elysium Industry in the U.S. and Canada. And additionally, our second guest is Mr. Steve Curtis, an energy expert with over 30 years, who's been working with us as far as discussing nuclear energy, the commercialization of energy. But our topic today is nuclear energy, the molten, molten, molten salt excuse me, molten chloride salt fast reactor. Uh, Ed, uh, let's uh, give the audience a little bit about your background and uh, because you've got over 36 years in this business. So let's tell them a little bit about your background and the founding of your company, both in the U.S. and Canada. Okay. So my name's Ed File. Uh, I started off as a fusion major in college, uh, but I went to work for the Navy training Navy sailors how to operate nuclear reactors, and then I went into designing reactors for the Navy, and I've worked on every kind of reactor that you can imagine, sodium, lead, uh, lithium, gas reactors, all of them. Um, I've worked on including space reactors to go out to uh, Jupiter's moons for a while. Uh, after 32 years of that and starting you know, two new reactors a year, uh, I was looking for a, a change to try to help more people, and um, I and uh, my other co-founders at Elysium Industries started Elysium um, to build a reactor that will solve a lot of the uh, uh, anti-nuclear or concerns type questions that people had in nuclear reactors. Um, and that was for the molten chloride salt fast reactors. And I'm chief technology officer of Elysium Industries. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I looked at your bio, and I wanted you to express what you've done, especially the the beginning stages of the fusion study and then going into the Navy and, and working the various reactors and all types of reactors. In fact, you've uh, tested and started up over 15 reactors and, and probably designed and supported nine different types of reactors. So that's quite uh, impressive. And, and today's uh, discussion uh, will get into the uh, molten chloride salt fast reactor in our second segment. But 
our first segment, what I'd like to do is talk about the U.S. and we're the international nuclear commercialization of nuclear power. But our next guest right now, let me introduce Steve Curtis. Steve, uh, let's give the audience a little bit of your background as a nuclear expert and what, what got you started and involved in this, in this process. Well, my, my background uh, originates in Nevada. I was there for 38 years, and I was um, in the middle of the uh, Yucca Mountain conflict, which was Nevada trying to fight spent nuclear fuel coming into their state. And it sort of incensed me because the issues dealing with that aspect of it are very minimal and easily handled. And uh, a lot of the complaints were political or, or emotionally motivated. So I've spent my time trying to convince people that this is the way to go. And uh, recently... I've focused on the recycling aspect of it, and we started talking about chemical recycling, which probably isn't the ideal situation. But then when I started looking at the fast reactors, we went to Argonne. You, you went with us, Tom and I, and you went there, and we talked to the actual inventors of these reactors. And we found out there's a better way that can actually uh, consume the uh, spent nuclear fuel and produce energy. And then we ran into... Um, Ed at the uh, winter meeting last year in, in Washington, D.C. for the American Nuclear Society, and we found out what he was doing in, in uh, what is euphemistically called liquid fuel, which is a, an amazing idea. It really simplifies the entire process. So we are still trying to encourage a state, a governor, to uh, approve of uh, spent nuclear fuel coming in if they could receive benefits related to research and, and development of the next generation reactors. And so um, that's where we're focused with Virginia Recycles SNF, and we're trying to move and expand to different states. And that's how we ran across uh, um, Ed introduced us to the, the state of Ohio, which is really moving out, trying to make this stuff happen. And so it was an opportune time to get, get Ed on the line. And I'll mention a little about internationally. The basic thing about internationally is we're getting the pants beat off us overseas in this technology. And it's, there's no reason for it. We have plenty of expertise here and plenty of, of, of startup companies and, and, and ways to go on this. But unless the economy opens up and, and favors nuclear, uh, not favors it necessarily, but at least puts it on a level playing field, we're going to fight an uphill battle. And that's kind of where, where Ed comes in. But it's amazing that there are uh, actually privately capitalized companies, many of them, in this business. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll get to that here in a minute, but uh, let me just uh, break it down. We're going to have uh, three uh, segments uh, in the show. Our first segment, we'll talk about the nuclear energy in the U.S. international uh, commercialization of nuclear energy. Second uh, uh, period, I'd like to talk about uh, your favorite topic, Ed, uh, molten chloride salt fast reactors. I want to really get into the benefits. And then the third segment is uh, uh, what does the U.S. need to do to move forward in, in the commercial energy business? And there's a lot of impediments, as Steve mentioned. But uh, most importantly, let me just start off with some facts because I, I was quite surprised, you know, from a nuclear power plant construction, there's over 100 uh, power uh, reactors that are being uh, built today, uh, and uh, they're they're generating about 120,000 megawatts of power, and there's over 300 more on on that are proposed. And most of these reactors are, as Steve mentioned, are planned in other areas, Asian region, the fast growing economies, and r rapidly rising electricity demands. And in fact. Uh, 
there's currently 440 nuclear reactors in operation in 30 countries. The US, United States has uh, about 95, 96, depending if the New York plant closed or not. And and then the second uh, user is France with 57 and China with 47. So from an international perspective, uh, you know, the United States still leads on nuclear reactors, but uh, France, China, Russia, and other countries like India are catching up. Uh, so, uh, Ed, let me just turn uh, the question to you. Where do you think the U.S. is at, uh, and, and the same type of question, where do you think the international community is at, and what do we need to do to move forward? Well, right now, the international community, specifically China and a bit of Russia, are the main ones. It used to be South Korea also building out reactors, but the latest government has uh, kind of stopped that. China in 2018 actually started up eight new reactors. Four of them were U.S.-built um, AP-1000 reactors from Westinghouse, right? So the, that reactor has been built in the United States, but built in China. Um, so they are moving ahead fast. They have a fast schedule. The United States is was building um, four new reactors, is now backed off to two new reactors, and they completed Watts Bar. Um, but that is a partially a military project, so I'm not sure I count that economically um, in new reactors um, for that reason. Um, but we don't have any new ones scheduled to be built for large reactors. And the Department of Energy has kind of switched over to SMRs and micro-reactors primarily for military benefits. Um, but they, they're, they're claiming that you can build these in factories and they will be cheaper to build. And economically, that's true. So everything wraps around economics and, and a little bit of, uh, like he said, emotional and political, but economics. So small reactors are, are cheaper to build, one of them but they only make a small amount of, of power. So your revenue coming back to pay for that smaller amount is even lower. So the economics are still very challenging for SMRs, and we've done SMRs before. Um, so it's hard to see where that will be economic um, for build out of a, large, a lot of reactors. But there are certain places like uh, um, Caribbean islands, um, remote Alaska, remote Canada and stuff that will benefit from these small reactors. But it's hard to see where they'd be economic to take the United States forward in a nuclear realm. We need to really get into building more large reactors like AP-1000, ESBWR, um, or advanced reactors uh, for this. And we, we, can't, we can't just sit and say, we're going to build SMRs. Right, because you can't build enough SMRs fast enough to really make a difference in the amount of energy that you produce. You need to build 20 of the new scales to equal the power output of building one AP1000. And then when you get into operations of all these, so when you build those for the for per megawatt basis, that's expensive, right? And then during operation, you need 20 times as many maintenance evolutions on 20 times as many plants as you do on an AP-1000. So the operating costs are going to be higher for SMRs than they are for large reactors. And so the economics are still challenging. The real benefit of SMRs that I see is that we have 
lost the skills and the supply chain to build nuclear. China has that back. That's why they were able to build uh, AP-1000s pretty much on time and on budget. But the United States can't. It's because we've lost the experience and we've lost the supply chain. The SMR benefit is that you can rebuild the learning curve in on a small plant that you don't have to spend it on a large plant where the losses would be larger because you have to relearn what you forgot and export it overseas, all our skills for the manufacturing industry. Well, it's, that's interesting, especially the uh, small nuclear reactors in, uh, versus the, I call them the fast uh, nuclear reactors or Gen 4 reactors. Let me give you another statistic that I brought up is that nuclear power plant well, playing important. Just, just quickly, go ahead. That, yes, go ahead. The, the advanced reactors aren't quite there yet. All right. So Correct. we should be starting to build existing water reactors until the advanced reactors are ready. Right. Okay, uh, and that's fine. Uh, the critical part is that the nuclear commercial energy part is that uh, it consistently produces about 20% of our annual generation of electricity in 30 states uh, uh, that operate uh, nuclear power plants. 12 states generate at least 30% of the nuclear power. What I found really interesting is that out of those the 12 uh, states, uh, three states generate 50% of their in-state electricity. And the one that jumped out at me was New Hampshire that uh, generates about 61%, followed by South Carolina with 56%. And, of course, uh, Illinois, uh, the most nuclear reactors with 11, uh, it produces a capacity of about 54% in-state uh, energy level. So that's just uh, internally in, in the United States. Uh, Steve, as we move forward in the United States, uh, what's your impression? How, how are the government agencies supporting the expansion of U.S. nuclear? Nuclear power versus the international community. It seems that there's a, a disconnect there. It's interesting uh, that in, when we started the nuclear power uh, industry in the United States, the government the government was leading leading the charge. Uh, Kennedy and, and uh, Eisenhower were pushing these down the road and, and figuring out ways to get nuclear power plants built and installed, and then. The utilities adopted those and started producing the, the demand for electricity for them. So it's kind of the opposite of the way most uh, technology works. Today, though, we're facing much different problems. We're really, uh, at least in, in uh, what we say, we're, we're trying to cut down on fossil fuels. So we're changing a real, real dynamic in the United States. But, when we're, but mostly what they want to go to is wind and solar, which really doesn't pencil out when you take away the subsidies. So if we're taking a level playing field, uh, uh, for you know, free enterprise, that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. I think nuclear can compete very well. And the issue with nuclear is, of course, like uh, Ed said, there's a big investment up front. And so they're hesitant to want to do that. But these p plants can last for 60 years. Some are, are being approved to last for 80 years. And the real impetus of that is, like I said, political and emotional. People have been... Um, told the wrong information about nuclear and scared about nuclear, and it's sort of been entrenched over the last 40 years. So it's a big job to try to un undo all that. But uh, the clean energy effort has really helped us. There's a lot of environmental groups that are coming online and agreeing with nuclear. But there is no movement from inside the government. Well, there's some, but there's not a big push. There's a lot of investment money being put in. Well, not a lot, not like before, but quite a bit to re research the advanced reactor techniques. And like I said, a lot of private money is coming into the game uh, and seeing the value of, 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 of this technology. Uh, 
So we're sort of working it kind of the way uh, innovation is supposed to work from entrepreneurs and, uh, and a, a demand-based sort of approach to it now. So I think there's a lot, of, a lot of capability, but what has to happen is we have to change the way we think about things and what people hate the most about nuclear energy and been scared about the most is the use nuclear fuel. They call it waste. But we all know there's a hundred times more energy left in the waste when it comes out of the reactor that we can recover, and, and the fast reactors are the key to doing that. And you and you and I and Tom went to Argonne, and they, they went over that in some detail with us. So we need to convince people that that they're sitting on a gold mine of right. used nuclear fuel. And they and, and if you can make energy, get rid of your waste, and produce um, sort of a, a manageable ash, if you will, from the remainder, I think they'd all go for it. But somehow we have to. Get, we're, we're trying to get over the political pushback instead of having the uh, pull from the political side this time. So it's a much, right. much different effort. All right. So let me just uh, provide some pros and cons. And, and the pros I, I get, it's the cons that we really need to work at if we're really going to expand the commercial energy uh, source uh, using nuclear power. Uh, the pros on nuclear energy, pros, is low cost of operation, reliable source of energy, stable base load, uh, produces low pollution, and, and it's sufficient fuel availability and a high energy density. I think we can all agree that those are pretty cl- clear. The cons as you uh, both uh, alluded to, is expensive to bill. We need partners. And one of the criti- critical part is the accidents. The you got a negative public out there, and of course the production of uh, radioactivity waste, uh, the impact of the environment, the security threats, and limited fuel. Some of these uh, cons can be uh, uh, discussed a little bit later. But let me. Uh, I've got 30 seconds to wrap up this first segment. Let's just say that uh, I've been uh, talking to Ed. Fitch and Steve Curtis were talking about nuclear energy. In our second segment, we're going to be talking about the molten chloride salt fast reactor that Ed's been uh, involved in the in many years of uh, his life and understanding nuclear energy, especially in commercialization. And we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You're listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. Let's continue our T3 program, Nuclear Energy, Molten Chloride Salt Fast Reactors. This is how we're going to turn uh, nuclear energy into commercial energy and produce electricity in the next uh, 30 years, uh, 2050. We're going to need a lot of electricity. As we talked in our past programs, we've got uh, increase of electrical demand from households to cars to airplanes. Just about anything we do uh, today will require a massive amount of electricity. And the question is, what can produce that electricity or what's the substitute for this? And then also with the climate change change of uh, the greenhouse effect and, and, and carbons being released into the environment, uh, what energy source can reduce the carbon emissions? Today's uh, guests are Mr. Ed Field, Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder at Lysium Industries in the U.S. and Canada. And additionally, I have uh, Steve Curtis, a nuclear energy expert for over 30 years. So, Ed, let's talk about, uh, first of all, let me just give uh, a quick synopsis. Uh, we're moving towards advanced reactors uh, technologies. Uh, some folks call them Gen 4 reactors, and really the advanced reactor designs are advanced water-cooled reactors, non-water-cooled reactors, fusion reactors, and there's, as you mentioned in the uh, uh, previous segment, small uh, modular reactors. Uh, however, your your particular uh, molten chloride fast reactor is on the non-water-cooled reactor side of the house. Explain to us, the audience, uh, what do you, why, why did you go that way, and uh, what are some of the benefits? Well, the, the basic reason for going that way is we set our design requirements to solve the questions about what about the waste, what about the cost, what about the proliferation, and what about the meltdown and reaction. And we looked at different reactor types, and, and we found that salt and a fast reactor salt would get rid of the waste and reduce the cost because we have liquid fuel. You don't have to manufacture solid fuel. That reduces the cost. It's low pressure like liquid metal reactors, but doesn't have the exothermic reactions that everybody worries about fires from sodium. And it can reach the same temperature as gas reactors. So you have the same efficiency. You can use it for process heat like um, gas reactors can. And so you can displace more of the fossil fuels to make it work. And you can consume all of the spent nuclear fuel from existing reactors as your fuel source, and you can consume the weapons materials uh, as a fuel source for getting reactors started up. And so that's solving a lot of the public's concerns, and especially, but especially all of them were focused on reducing the cost, the low pressure, not manufacturing solid fuel, not reprocessing every four years um, for solid fuels uh, to get the cost down. And from a proliferation perspective, we take the plutonium from weapons and mix it with spent nuclear fuel, and that makes it not weapons-grade anymore, right? That's before it goes in the reactor, and then the reactor never has any weapons-grade material in it. And then we consume it for 40 to 60 years, and it, uh, it, we basically only have fission products come out. We never take any of the uranium or the plutonium or any of the things that you're concerned about for proliferation or long-lived waste that all stays in the reactor until it's consumed, and we only take the stuff out that's 100 years until it decays. One of the advantages of nuclear 
that you don't get with fossil fuels is the waste from nuclear actually does decay away. And if you only take the stuff out that decays in 100 years, that's far better than coal ash and exhaust that you, that you have that lasts forever, which is hazardous. And the, the uh, power density of the fuel is enormous. It's like 2 million times as energy dense as coal, which means 2 million times less waste product and it decays away. I mean, how much better can you get than that? All right. So we just took basically table salt as the one of the main components and dissolved the spent fuel and plutonium in that and start the reactor up. So we just melted table salt. All right. Everybody here knows that you, when you throw salt in the spaghetti pot, the spaghetti pot doesn't explode, right? So we don't have that chemical reaction to be concerned about uh, like you do with like sodium or something like that. That saves money because we don't have to have a safety system to prevent costs or to prevent that, that sodium leaking out and having a fire. All right, so that, that really helps in uh, getting costs down. We don't have to manufacture solid fuel every four years. Uh, that reduces cost. 90% of the cost of a uh, light water reactor fuel is the manufacturing of the solid fuel, not the uranium. Now, we're taking what is waste, which is spent nuclear fuel and plutonium, which costs money to store and putting it in as our fuel. So there's also the possibility that the fuel going into the reactor is actually a revenue source in addition to the power going out. But because we're a high-temperature reactor, we don't necessarily just think about electricity generation. We also think about, well, what if you could do hydrogen separation? What if you do synthetic fuel production? So you pull carbon dioxide out of the seawater and pull hydrogen out of seawater and you mix them together and you make synthetic fuel to displace the fossil fuels, right? So you can do that. So if you want to use nuclear for a lot of process heat and really clean up the atmosphere, then there's actually ways to do it if you can get to high enough temperatures. And we can get to fairly high temperatures. We can get up to concrete temperatures if we need to. So we can use concrete makes a lot of CO2 for emissions, and, and we can get do concrete without having any emissions. So right. It, and, it's and a lot of this... Uh, a lot of the benefits that you talk about uh, really started, I guess, in Oregon Lab uh, in the early, um, um, I'm going to say 60s, if I'm correct. Um, but uh, we've been, is that correct? Oak Ridge uh, National Lab. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. Yeah, Oak Ridge National Lab. I'll stand corrected. Uh, go ahead, Steve. What were you going to well, say? Well, Oak Ridge started, but Idaho had a big play in it, too, as well as Argonne and Chicago. So that's okay. for the history. But the bottom like, line uh, is, and if I, you could talk a little bit about what you're doing with Ohio and the uh, and the medical isotopes too, that's very interesting. Um, Go ahead. Ed. I can. Yes. So Ohio is is trying to pass a bill that will promote the capability of Ohio to take over some of the regulation from the NRC in building reactors to become uh, a better proponent of building nuclear in Ohio, and two of the basic points of it is they want to recycle spent nuclear fuel and they want to generate radioisotopes from it. Um, so that, that has now passed 
the House uh, and Energy Committee in the House and is now going on to the Senate, uh, which will probably be this fall, I suspect. Um, and, and their goal is to promote Ohio as a nuclear state, right, and do a lot of the self-regulation. There's a lot of things like sources and stuff like that that states already regulate um, rather than the NRC specifically regulating. So this, this is a possibility, um, but you need an entity created to take over that role before the NRC would feed that role to them. So it's like the chicken or the egg, right? They have to create an, an institution that has that capability to do that. And so they want to recycle and they want to make radioisotopes. Um, so I, uh, I talked to the House uh, committee to support that, and the radioisotopes, the nice thing about a, a molten chloride salt-fast reactor is there is no internal core structure. So you right. can put a cell in there to do radioisotope generation anywhere in the core. You just add a little bit of uh, extra fuel to compensate for it, and you can generate radioisotopes. The fuel that comes out, the 100-year stuff that I talked about, you can mine that for radioisotopes for medical purposes as well. All right, so there's two beneficial ways that you can use a molten chloride salt fast reactor that's very hard to design a solid fuel reactor because you have to design the fuel cells to fit around test cells in the reactor. And we don't have to do that. All we have to do is add a little extra fuel, which is much easier to do because right. we don't have fuel in the center. So, let's so go, but the goal let, is to go to more states than just Ohio and get, get as many states as we can doing that same thing to drive a build-out of advanced reactors in the United States. Another benefit, Ed, that I read from the molten chloride uh, salt fast reactor is how you're building the reactor itself, uh, keeping the, the lowest component accessible. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the, all the components in the reactor are specifically designed um, to be able to be road shippable. And all the components in the reactor are uh, immersed in a salt tank and supported from the top. So you can do remote removal of these components without actually going in there and, and uh, physically manually cutting things away. We don't have concrete since the, the tank that it's immersed in is liquid salt, you can pull the component out and replace it. Even the lower reactor vessel is replaceable. This, this is kind of modeled after the can-do reactor where they, they have a whole bunch of pressure tubes going through the core, but they can replace those pressure tubes periodically through life, and the reactor basically lasts forever, right? And the reason why we wanted to make the reactor last forever by being able to replace it is because the fuel lasts forever, right? You just keep adding spent nuclear fuel to it and it's completely consumed, right? But the fuel never goes bad. You never throw it away. You just take some of the short-lived fission products out. Well, I really like that. And you covered a lot of bases here. Uh, you talked about the cost, reducing the cost, uh, you, the uh, the safety aspect as far as the cost meltdown, everything. the ability to... If you can't compete with gas, you, you're not going anywhere. It, well, I was going to bring that up. Uh, gas is probably no, your sorry. major competitor right now. Yeah. 
No, and then the waste product, uh, the reusing of the waste product, and the uh, and the lessening the proliferation. I think you've hit uh, at least from a national security aspect is the proliferation of nuclear materials that they're concerned with. That's the reason, one of the reasons, the U.S. pulled back in uh, establishing nuclear power uh, in, in other com- in other countries, except that uh, Russia, China, and other uh, international companies are filling that gap. So uh, while the U- U.S. is not comp- Competing in that area as much as it used to, it's losing its technolo- te- technological edge because of the lack of experience that's coming on. Another benefit that I see from the molten chloride salt fast reactor is what you said, uh, not only the use of waste, um, the, uh, the, the limited uh, proliferation, but the hydro, um, um, uh, I guess, the, uh, hydro oxygen uh, and, the, uh, and the ability to take seawater and convert that, and also the medical use and recycling. So all those are beneficial products for uh, the molten chloride salt fast reactors. Any other benefits? Uh, we talked about the maintenance capability well, well, and making it last. So any other capabilities there, Ed? Well, the the one aspect you kind of touched on on proliferation actually has two parts to it, and we kind of touched it uh, around it on the first part. One part is, are there materials in the reactor that are weaponizable. And in our reactor, there isn't. Even light water reactors for the first two months of operation have weapons-grade plutonium in it, and they keep it locked up to make sure that it doesn't, nobody takes anything out in that first two months or so, two to six months, right? So that's why they have an 18-month refueling period, or at least one year refueling period. That's one aspect. Does it have materials that you could do it, and do you separate it out? Our reactor, we operate for 40 to 60 years, so we could put it in a country that we don't necessarily trust, but we lock it up for 40 to 60 years and don't pull anything out for 40 to 60 years, and then go back in and pull it out and take that fuel back from that country. And we clean it up, and then we send it out to another reactor, meanwhile giving them another fuel. The other aspect of it is China and Russia are using this as an economic lever to get influence in other countries around the world when they export. And the U.S. is just starting to recognize and implement that aspect of of the uranium and the nuclear power is when you build these things for somebody, then they basically are going to you for fuel access for 100 years. So you're developing influence. One of the nice things about that is like Russia is pushing this fuel take back. And that's why I talked about, you know, the fuel take back. All right. But you can't afford to do that every year and a half. But if you don't do it every 40 to 60 years, you can afford to take that fuel back and clean it up and send it back out. Well, I think those are the major benefits of the molten chloride salt fast reactor. And and what's really critical, as you said, uh, uh, the um, appendage or the support capability that other countries uh, will have on either China or Russia. And I know uh, in our last visit to DAE uh, leadership, uh, that was one of the major concerns. Steve, uh, we've got about three minutes uh, uh, any any questions about where we're well, headed? Well, yeah, we, we basically touched on the safety, but uh, safety is a huge, a huge um, 
factor in this reactor is built underground, and it's, it, it, it has no way that it can explosively decompose, and it basically shuts itself down if anything happens. And so as far as what people are worried about the accidents, we talked about it on the show earlier, and there's a question in my mind, and whether Chernobyl was actually an accident, it seemed to be on purpose to me. But the other two were examples of how reactors worked to save the people. So the safety envelope for nuclear is huge, and these reactors are just going to get, make it better. And that's the message that I think we need to get out as well. Well, that's part of the Gen 4 uh, development process is the safety features, and especially in the fast reactors, a lot of the new technologies. As uh, Ed mentioned, the inherent safety is critical, and you talked about it and touched on. Uh, the public right now are looking at Three Mile, Fukushima, and Chernobyl as a constant reminder of the risk of using nuclear energy, and we've got to convince them that that risk is uh, uh, inherently low, and it has been low. Uh, the economic competitiveness that uh, Ed mentioned we <laughs> he threw out you got to get look at natural gas. A natural gas is a competitor right now. I don't think it's uh, wind and solar because of the production and the uh, uh, limited power production and, or interruption of their power production is is critical. And of course the uh, reduction of the environmental burden. Uh, Ed, uh, maybe in the next uh, segment well, we'll talk a well, little bit about just, the. I was just product. saying that the li- go ahead. The little, the little piece here is you have to get the economics better the, for okay. nuclear because what's going on is they are driving the cost of nuclear up by adding requirements for safety systems, even though nuclear is far safer than any other energy production system and making us non-competitive with gas and coal. Yet gas and coal are killing millions of people a year, right? So the, the regulations aren't the same. Right? right, but they're Correct. using the yes, safety question unrealistically to to drive us out of business. Okay, even well, though we're uh, already folks- saving lives. Right. We've got 30 seconds. Let me just wrap up, uh, folks. Uh, we're listening to Mr. Ed Field, Chief Technology Officer and Founder of Elysium Industry in the U.S. and Canada. My second guest is Mr. Steve Curtis, who has, is a nuclear expert for over 30 years. We've been talking about nuclear energy and commercialization of nuclear energy, specifically the molten chloride salt fast reactor. In our sec- uh, third segment, we'll come back and talk about where does the U.S. have to go and what kind of uh, competitions they need to be out in order to make uh, nuclear power a commercial uh, viability. And we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and 
and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we're starting our third segment. Our discussion today is nuclear energy, molten chloride, salt, fast reactors, and I've been talking to my two guests, uh, Mr. Ed Field, Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of Elysium Industry in the U.S. and Canada. And my second guest is, of course, Mr. Steve Curtis, a nuclear energy expert for over 30 years. Our discussion today was where where has the U.S. been as far as the energy commercialization of uh nuclear power and also talk about uh, the, the international community, uh, how many countries are out there using nuclear power and the leading countries of uh, Russia, China, building uh, fast reactors. And most of the fast reactors or new reactors that are being developed are being done in the Asian uh, Asian region. So uh, the second segment, we talked about the molten chloride salt uh, fast reactor and the benefits, uh, the costs and commercialization of that product is really critical and it's got to beat out natural gas and all the other alternative fuels, the ability to reduce the meltdown, the ability to use waste, uh, the ability to reduce uh, proliferation, and the ability to be used uh, for hydrogen uh, um, development, uh, converting seawater, medical uses, and other recycling benefits. And as we move into our third segment, what does the U.S. need to do to move forward uh, for the commercialization of nuclear energy? Both the states need to build up a nuclear power programs and support infrastructure. They need to have the federal government support nuclear more than just research and development and sponsor build-outs of nuclear plants in states. Um, you need to get to large reactors if you want to compete uh, and and have that influence with other countries to be able to export. A couple of the big things that we need to do that, we need to modify the regulatory system, we need to modify the finance and investing system and insurance industry to be able to support nuclear reactors, and we need to build experience and skill sets. Right now, the United States exported a lot of their expertise overseas when we moved industry over to Asia and out of the United States. That, Along with that experience for building large projects went a lot of the skills like welding and electrical 
um, that we really need for the nuclear plants. But really, what we really need is experience building. The reason why nuclear plants are expensive today is because it takes a long time to build them because we are inexperienced and have a, uh, a harsh regulatory body that does more than just safety. Right? So we need to build that experience. Vogel plant is being built, but it's the only one that's being built. So it's the, the people that were building, pouring the concrete and doing the rebar they're already out of a job. They're not on to another nuclear site. So they are now losing experience. We're losing the benefits of the experience and the knowledge that they gained um, building Vogel, right? So we need to continuously build. And the, fa- the more you build, the more experience you get, the faster you can build, and that drives costs down. One thing that you have to understand is that the reactor cost Escalation is almost purely finance costs, right? Delay of build due to inexperience or being dragged out by regulatory or, or other uh, parties. So we need to make sure that that gets reduced so we can save the finance costs, get rid of the interest costs of building those plants to get the cost down. So we can't, we can't just build one and not build more we need to build continuously to get that learning curve benefit of building reactors to drive the cost down of nuclear. That's what we did in the 70s. That's what France did in uh, the 70s and 80s. And they built lots of reactors at very low cost, completely decarbonized their grid. And as a matter of fact, took a lot of things like uh, heating and stuff over to nuclear as well. Sweden also, in, in 10 to 15 years, went from fossil fuels to almost pure hydro and nuclear in a very short period of time. So it can be done, but you have to have motivation to do that, and you have to have government support to do that, both at the state and the federal level and regulatory level. Well, do you see that support, the federal level? Because to me, I just don't see it uh, enough, a big push. I don't really see it. I think it's I think it's currently ramping up. I don't know whether that's going to change at the next election this fall. Um, it is not fast enough to really have any hope of of taking nuclear up to a significant fraction and reducing climate change if that's your goal um, from it, uh, because we need to be building between now and 2050 if you want to do the climate change thing. Um, and I'm not, not everybody believes in that, but if you want to do it, you need to build not just ones and twos reactors. You need to be building hundreds of reactors a year, large reactors. If you're talking small reactors, you're talking thousands to 10,000 of reactors a year to have uh, any kind of impact because the United States is a lot bigger than France or Sweden. So we need a lot more reactors and a lot, and a lot larger reactors to do that. Uh, well, also, um, this, the, the, the idea of the federal government funding this stuff, they've been used to funding it through DOE, and DOE funds the national laboratories who aren't businesses. So there's a lot of work done on the national laboratory on the um, research side of it, and that's, you'll hear in the, in the nuclear 
uh, industry out here talked about paper reactors, paper reactors, paper reactors. So that means that they're writing papers and writing reports and everything, but nothing's getting put on the road. You need the industrial base and the, in, in the um, investor base to support businesses like, like Ed's doing to really get rubber on the road. And really, states need you to embrace transfer, that from their perspective. Transfer that technology out of the lab and into the industry. It's, it's a horrible bottleneck. And, and there's no, I don't say no, but there's not much incentive in the national laboratories to do that. You need a pull from industry to, to do that. And the nuclear industry is conspicuously absent in the face of solar, wind, and, and uh, fossil fuels in the last 40 years. So there has to be a fundamental understanding basis and attitude change, and I think you need to start with the states, and, and the way Ed's approaching it makes a lot of sense to me, and that's kind of what we're trying to do is get a governor to understand it and ask for it and pull it, pull the technology. Okay. So, and Ed, could, uh, if I can ask this question, on the molten chloride uh, salt fast reactor, where, where are you? What stage are you in? Right now, we're trying to look for funding to build a demonstration unit. We haven't figured out where that demonstration unit will be. It will have to be probably at a national lab. Uh, we don't know yeah. which one. It depends on which one can support our fuel system. Um, and the goal is to have a, a demonstration unit built and operating by 2027 at 10 megawatt thermal, uh, which is what the regulator says they can do a faster license for, and then upgrade that from 100 to 125 megawatt thermal uh, and put a uh, test power system or process heat system on that uh, at that national lab. Uh, So that's where we're standing right now. Um, That system will be used to prove out uh, a lot of the systems for a commercial version, which we hope to get uh, operational in the uh, early 2030s. Yeah, that's uh, still a long time when I look at it, but uh, it's because of the development process. More importantly, based on what you just told me, it's the funding issue, right? It's the ability for you to enter. Yeah, it's the funding issue. It's the funding and the support. Right now, the Department of Energy is primarily supporting advanced reactors in the gas reactor and the sodium reactor thing because that's what they know about. Um, they're supporting heat pipe reactors a little bit, but they are limited to very tiny. So I don't really count that as a, a nuclear build-out. Um, but the, the Department of Energy is familiar with two kinds of advanced reactors, the sodium and the, uh, and the gas reactor, and they're not even working on lead reactors very much. No. And so that's one that are being pushed, but we really need to look at molten salt reactors. But the Department of Energy believe that molten salt reactors could not be made proliferation safe until, and, and didn't believe anybody was actually commercially working on it until about 2015, right? Before right. that, they discouraged and would not fund molten salt reactor. But now they're kind of say, okay, we'll support it. We'll support it at the same level as everybody else. But that means that we've lost, you know, 60 years worth of development time compared to, say, sodium fast reactors or gas reactors, right? So they're not making the funding in a manner that would say molten salt reactors look like they're going to be cheaper and more passively safe than other reactors. And that's a big issue, right? Because at this point, sodium fast reactors are coming out at about 25 to 50% more expensive 
than light water reactors, so they're not going to be very competitive. And then gas reactors are 50 to a factor of two higher costs, so they're not going to be really economically competitive with natural gas if light water reactors are. Indeed, light water reactor costs of operations are going way down right now. They're down to three cents a kilowatt hour, so they're getting very competitive with natural gas. The problem is they have been re-optimized to not be able to load follow because uranium fuel is cheap, so they prefer to make more revenue by operating at a constant power, so they optimize to do that. But light water reactors used to be load following. They are load following in France, right? So you can do it, but you need to re-optimize them to be able to do that. But you have to get the cost down. That's why everything we focus on is about getting the cost down. Keep it simple. Don't make it expensive. Only only 15% of a light water reactor is is the nuclear island. The rest Hmm. of it is to balance the plant. Right. The problem with the balance of plan is a lot of that has safety implications and needs uh, quality control on those systems, and that drives costs up. But by and large, there are a lot of power conversion systems, cooling systems, cooling towers, um, electric yards. Electric yards are extremely expensive. That's not part of the power plant, other mm. than the fact that the, some of the water reactors require the water cooling and therefore drives the safety costs up to get the paperwork out. Advanced reactors have a huge advantage in that they're high temperature, so they can dump decay heat to atmosphere. They don't require those water systems to provide cooling. And so right. that economically is a huge advantage. That that 85% of the cost of the, of the balance of plant not only um, doesn't have to be as complicated, it doesn't have to have all the QC, uh, QA, cost that a late water reactor has. And so Perfect. that'll drive the overall cost down for nuclear. Okay, we've got two minutes left. Uh, Ed, let me just ask one question. Were you able to attend the molten salt chemistry workshop at Oak Ridge uh, in 2017? Uh, there have yes, been several yes. meetings on that. It seems to me that they, uh, the outline that they proposed was very beneficial. So I'm uh, just curious uh, whether you attended or not on that. We've got, uh, like I said, about a minute and a half left. Uh, Steve, uh, give me about a 30-second minute uh, wrap-up, and then I'll turn it to Ed for final thoughts. Okay. Well, our, our whole basis of uh, approach from our perspective is um, we, we think uh, if a state would uh, declare themselves open to accept used nuclear fuel, they could make a lot of uh, uh, demands of the federal government. But I think that would change the whole attitude on the federal government's level and start moving them towards a commercial application of this. And, of course, we need education of the public. That's, that's, a, that's a huge impetus that, that we really need to start doing. Okay. And, Ed, uh, your final thoughts? So we really need to move forward on the molten salt chloride fast reactor. This is a way to get rid of the questions like what about the waste and get the cost down. There, it, All the spent nuclear fuel is about 30 times as much energy as the original reactor made. All the depleted uranium is about 300 times as much fuel. So we have enough fuel left, even if we went to uh, 100% electricity and started moving into the other process heat, like uh, electric heating instead of fossil heating, we still have okay. 300 years of fuel already mined. Perfect. That we have. Okay. So we can recycle all that. 
I got 10 seconds left. Uh, let me just say, audience, this is a big topic today. Uh, we talked about nuclear energy, molten chloride, salt, fast reactors. More to come later. I'd like to thank uh, D. Daniel, my executive producer, and of course, my executive assistant, Alexander Loreno. And this is uh, Jose Negron. Uh, uh, let me just thank the audience for listening to T3 today, tomorrow's technologies, and we'll be back next week with another topic. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.